1: NY or text hope and why in New York
2: in 2018, everybody knew that Jahan Dotson flipping from UCLA to Penn state was a big win for the Nittany Lions late in that cycle. Yet I don't think anybody expected Dotson to be one of the highest ranked players drafted from Penn state at the wide receiver position in the NFL draft. Second highest all time in the program going 16th overall to the Washington commanders this spring in the NFL draft. So the question is, How do the Nittany Lions replace him, and how does that play out in the receiver room? That's what we're breaking down today on the BWI Daily Edition as our season preview continues, taking a look at the wide receivers. PWI Daily Edition, getting you ready for the Penn State football season. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, Senior Editor. Nate Bauer, once again, on residency here on the Daily Edition, uh, giving us his thoughts and opinions, his insights into the program as we get you ready for Penn State football. Today, we're taking a look at the wide receivers. Nate, any opening thoughts or just how you doing? You get to pick what you want to respond to. I'm great. How are you? Doing good. It is. It's that time of year, like... I am now having to make decisions about what we talk about on the daily instead of there being a topic every day. There's a bunch of stuff we could get into. There's a bunch of different ways the show could go. I'm so excited. that There's so much news because football is here.
3: It's here. Yep. Yeah, and it's fun. It's fun to, uh, you know, there are some other things going on in the larger, broader world of college football and specifically Penn State, and it's fun to talk about receivers catching footballs uh, to get away from that a little bit.
2: Yeah. And of course, as our uh, reporter on all things, big picture, it's been something I'm sure you've been diving into the last couple of days Uh, as we get into the media days and uh, you know, camp is just around the corner. So talking about football, I'll tell you, that's where, where I feel comfortable. That's that's, that's where my wheelhouse is. So Nate, when we talk about the receiver position, What's the headliner for you this fall coming into camp?
3: Yeah, I I don't know if it's just me. I, it probably isn't. Um, but Mitchell Tinsley, I, I think I tend to gloss over a little bit. Uh, very obviously, he came in in December, right? Or at least, um, you know, made that commitment in December, got to Penn State's campus in January and the immediate impression was all positive, right? I mean, everything about him, that he was consistent, that he brought something to the receiving game that Penn State desperately needed. He's hes an old head. He's been around for forever. Just having the ability to infuse your room with that, given the circumstances of losing a guy like Jahan Dotson, I, I just think that it created a you know, an atmosphere in which Penn state felt as though they weren't going to miss a step after John Dotson left. So
2: I'll put it to you as, as you eloquently put the old head in the room that gives you that stability. This is what Penn state was working with before Mitchell Tinsley uh, decided to join the Nittany lines through the transfer portal. And if you checked out the uh, season preview over at blue, white illustrated.com, it is an on three plus article. So if you want to join for $1, you get access to that article and then 12 months of goodies as we get into all the stuff you will want to be a part of it Join for a dollar but that group had keandre lambert smith with a thousand career snaps according to pff parker washington ahead of him by essentially a couple games with 1200 no other player had more than 66 and that would be malik mega (laughs) who is a relative unknown he has you know One game under his belt. So adding Mitchell Tinsley and his 1,400, almost 1,500 career snaps, both at Western Kentucky. And, of course, he has some some JUCO experience. He's been around the block. So Penn State has three starting receivers that have a significant amount of experience. And let's get into those guys right now, introduce you to those probable starters at the receiver position, Uh, break this down because there's a lot of players in this particular group. These are the players that seem likely because of that. Uh, Parker Washington, as you mentioned, he's returning to the slot. Mitchell Tinsley, uh, is going to be one of those receivers on the outside, most likely. Although he did play in the slot this spring, and of course, Keandre Lambert Smith is the third guy that we, you know, right now peg as far as a starter heading into training camp. At least the guy that would be a top of a the the guy that's at the top of the list in terms of a competition for snaps. So yeah. replacing Dotson is. Not a one for one thing, correct. right correct what what's the what is the makeup of this group? Do you expect one guy to be the lead receiver? And I guess the point is what's the nature of a number one receiver? Is it a guy that the defense takes away or the guy
3: that the defense can't stop and gets all the targets? Yeah, I mean that's that's literally the crux of the argument, and what Penn State has to address this season is are the players that Penn state has okay. Specifically in those three, are they good enough where no defense is going to want to commit the personnel to stop one, to take one completely out of the game, right? Because John Dotson never was for, for as good as he was teams took an approach with him that yes, they, 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 some of them attempted to take him out of the game, but he never really disappeared. He he just yeah. pr- consistently had production there. And so I, I think that if you're Penn state and you're, and you're saying, okay, well maybe there isn't a star that will be the receiver of, um, you know, all of the resources that a defense has to try to take them out of the game. Uh, but in combination their, um, the totality of what they all bring to the field says that, okay, even if one does get taken away, even if there is somebody that teams are going to focus on, let's say somebody gets hot, right? There a couple of games, uh, yeah. rip them off, right? Mitchell Tinsley. And they say, okay, well, you know, we're not going to let Mitchell Tinsley beat us. Are you feeling confident that that approach by that defense opens up the door to, let Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith shine. And I think that the answer through all of this spring was yes. Right. Like that, that they felt confident that they feel confident as a whole, that those guys can all complement each other and all present kind of more of a triple threat than anything that they had had uh, either of the past two years when it was literally just Dotson and Parker Washington. Yeah. And
2: Parker Washington in that particular situation is interesting being a guy who plays primarily from the slot. Ninety one percent of his slot uh, snaps came from the slot last season, according to PFF. So can you have a guy that is your number one receiver operating from that particular position? Because I think we saw the answer is kind of yes. It's a soft yes when it is when you watch K.J. Hamler do that. And he was the number one receiver. But that was a very inconsistent passing game for Penn State in 2019. That, that team was led by the ground attack, which, you know, was the clear focus of uh, the way the offense was gaining explosive plays and explosive yards augmented by that particular situation. And that's where when we talk about this, I know a lot of fans and a lot of uh, media point to Washington first because he's the returning player in the team. And I think that's fair. But what is the nature of the position where Mitchell Tinsley got 1400 yards and was a bonafide deep threat last year at Western Kentucky and has what seems to be a very complete game? It, I just yeah. I wonder if if Washington is going to be the 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 next guy up, or if there is going to be more of either either an equal distribution or Tinsley's just the guy because he's six foot one, two hundred pounds, and plays on the outside and can flip into the slot as we saw this spring and has versatility play in there. So I think those all all those factors
3: we don't really know how that's going to play out yet. Does Mike Yersich want, because we've talked about this, and this is something that they've talked about last year, is, okay, 91% of those snaps for Parker Washington. Is that going to be the situation this year for him? Is that something that he wants? Is that something that Penn State as an offense wants? Because to me, what I've gathered explicitly or implicitly is that Penn State would like these, these receivers to be mostly interchangeable they would like yes. them to be able to exploit matchups to be able to move around the field and feel comfortable wherever they are. And so, I you know, was that a matter of circumstances last mm-hmm. year where Parker Washington was those was 91% because he excelled in that role or because they didn't want to take Jahan Dotson out of you know, the spot that he was on the right. field. And so right. I don't I don't necessarily know the answer to that question, but I think that if I had to make a guess right now, it's that you would see a little bit more interchangeability uh, but between these guys, and especially given the fact that they have as much depth as they feel like they have in receivers four, five, and possibly even six. Yeah, I, I
2: tend to have a hard time with that conversation as well because we do hear that, and I had a long conversation and I wrote a whole article about how positionless receivers are now the trend. And at the same time, Penn State definitely has defined positions for where they play guys eventually. Like, guys don't bounce all over. Some guys play with a little more interchangeability. And I think it's the, you know, looking at Dotson, 23% of his snaps came from the slot. And he was productive in those snaps. So I I think it's more about getting one guy maybe situationally (laughs) in a good, in a good matchup, that's maybe you're again, your number one receiver versus having every single player be able to line up everywhere. And, and I just, I don't know that an offense functions that way as easily because you do have to define the role for the guy. So he knows what's expected of him on a regular basis. So yeah. I struggle with that too, because the theory and what you'd like to do feels very different than what we see in practice. Uh, that being said, I don't think anyone else, Brenton Strange was the only player that truly was 50-50 of 50% of his his, uh, snaps were in the slot and then the rest were either in line or out wide. But you mentioned those other players. So let's take a look at the rest of the depth here because this is the conversation heading into 2022 that it's not just those top three guys. The three on the list here, Malik Mega, Liam Clifford, and Harrison Wallace especially are the guys that we are going to have a conversation about and specifically mega and Wallace as what we expect to be a competition for that third receiver spot with Keandre Lambert Smith, who has struggled throughout his career with consistency. He has zero contested catches uh, according to PFF or last two season. And I believe seven drops. So consistency has been his issue playing big, being able to be that downfield threat explosive player. He had 15 yards per reception last year, but just, in and out when it comes to the ability to make those plays. How do you feel about the depth? I guess not just behind uh, uh, Lambert Smith, but in general to push the offense to raise that floor to get that consistency we're talking about.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, certainly I think that there, I, I don't expect Keandre Lambert Smith to lose that battle in the preseason. Uh, but I do expect Malik Mega and Harrison Wallace those those are really the two guys right that we can yeah. have uh, an entirely separate conversation about who that sixth might be i would include Jaden Dotton into that conversation depending on how uh, you know his kind of physical maturation continues or doesn't um but yeah if 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 Harrison Wallace and Malik Mega each of whom it seems to me give you the opportunity to Stretch the field a little bit. Who give you the opportunity to, uh, y- y- you know, for lack of a better term, out jump? For, yeah, right? play, they, they, play big Give you a size, right? right? They give you they give you a size mismatch. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think that having those elements that you can bring to the field. The question is whether or not it, either one of those guys brings something that's more appealing and more consistent, being the operative term than what Keandre Lambert Smith does. And I, you know, again, that's something that I think is going to have to play itself out in the preseason. But the way that these things typically go is that th- there is a line of um, demarcation, right? Like it, it, I, for as much as people might want to talk about how playing five receivers or six receivers. Yeah. You're still probably going to see three that, in terms of snap count, have a a clear separation from the the rest.
2: The bench shortens in crunch time, right? So in in basketball, when you get to the playoffs, you might be only playing six guys because that's your best six versus throughout the course of the season, you might see a number of guys get in there and, you know, make some plays and do some things. But in crunch time, you might be back down to your three best receivers. And and the, the rest of the offense, you know, when it comes to receptions, plays a part in this as well, which brings us to the other point I want to ask about the receiver position. And this is going to tie into something that we haven't talked about yet on the daily in our season preview, but the running back position, all yep. this ties together. Jahan Dotson was the running game at certain <sighs> points last year. And he was the deep passing game and he was the intermediate passing game. That's how you get so many targets. That's how you get 137 targets. So if we're using last year as a template, is that an incorrect template to focus on and see there's not going to be maybe even as many passes as there were last year to then divvy up amongst more receivers?
3: I'm conflicted on that. And I just wrote, the approach to the running backs, right? I, I did the same thing that you did for the receivers. And yep. what becomes very clear is Mike, whether it's Mike Yersich or James Franklin, both I think see the passing game as the road to success offensively. Yeah. And so it's not about, I I, I don't see anything transformative in the sense of, Oh, they're going to go to 35 carries a game this season. Right. 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 Like it's just, even, even if there are improvements in the running game, that's not what it's about. (laughs) What it's about is turning the 15 to 20 carries that you're giving your running backs every game and having two or three of them hit for big runs, right. Uh, Touchdown carries, maybe more than three, maybe, maybe it's five, seven. Yeah. Uh, My point being though, is I think they're still going to throw the ball quite a bit. I think that that still is going to be the approach that you're going to, you're going to see, they, they see that as not only the quick passing game, uh, but just their receivers in general, they do see that as an extension of the running game. And that if you can deliver the football behind the line of scrimmage to a player in space, that's as good of an approach as yeah, handing it to your running back in the backfield after a second and a half, right?
2: Right. So if if you if you want to give it the kind of the RPO sense, having a six on six in the box where you have maybe a tight end and five offensive linemen versus four line four defensive linemen and two linebackers you have less of an opportunity there than if you have a a two on three where you have a screen pass with two receivers. One of them maybe is a tight end or last year, Penn State had all three tight ends lined up on the boundary and basically made a new offensive line then versus two defensive backs whose primary job is not run defense. So that's kind of the idea philosophy behind those things. But at the same time, Penn State got too far away and this is where I this is where I'm going to push back on this. Penn State got a little too far away from having any sort of credible threat on the interior of the offense. If you're not ever running the football really like yeah. with effect between the tackles, you can cheat wherever you want. You can deploy safeties somewhere other than the top of the box. So then you, those numbers are less effective when you can rally guys. And sometimes you can bait the offense into throwing screens when you're expecting it. So there were some times last year that Penn state without that balance of having a a threat on the interior of the offense in the middle of the field, you can start to soften the advantage on the perimeters. The second thing is uh, going through some of the numbers with Sean Clifford. And this is how this ties into the receiver's, in my sense of are there as many targets i think he he threw the ball 492 times last year so if you take he had 40, 492 dropbacks excuse me he threw the ball uh, 431 times so if you take 100 off of that he's still almost at 400 passing dropbacks and that's only 7.6 a game like we're talking about seven or eight plays where maybe the running back gets the ball instead of the quarterback keeping and throwing the football and, and that's not a huge difference, but it would make a huge difference to the perception of this group that either there isn't a star or they weren't as good as Dotson because nobody or the aggregate didn't raise to that level. Um, anything else on the kind of the position group as a whole at uh, proper before we move on to some of the other parts of this group in terms of uh, what, you know, the other makeups of some of
3: the young players? Yeah, I just... Look, I, I think that it it is fairly clear to me what Penn State has. There isn't a lot of unknown in my mind. Yes, Keandre Lambert Smith is a little bit of a ha- has he turned the corner of his development into becoming a consistent presence. I, th- I think that that's a question, but the you know the premise of Mitchell Tinsley and Parker Washington having to carry most of the load and being the primary targets I think is more or less assured. It's just Mm -hmm. a matter of whether or not they can live up to that. Right. Uh, As, as a pair, are they able to duplicate even if it's not the, you know, whatever it was for Jahan last year, 90 to 50 ish breakdown in terms of receptions, Mm. maybe it's 75 75 and that's okay. (laughs) <laughs> right. Like maybe that's right. Maybe that's OK for those two guys uh, to, to not rely so heavily on one and be able to to more evenly distribute your passing attempts.
0: With threats to
2: our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So the the the, the reliance on one particular player should be because should be because of their dominance, not necessarily because the lack of a of other quality options, which I still think Parker Washington was a quality option last year, but yep. to your point of like having a a third and a fourth. So let's get into some of the other players on the roster. These, as always, will introduce you to the freshmen. Penn State has a four-player class here uh, in the class of 2022, headlined by Caden Saunders, a top 150 receiver out of uh, Westerville, Ohio. Amari Evans from Texas, Tyler Johnson from Virginia, and Anthony Ivey from Milheim Township. Lots of speed here, Nate. Lots of speed uh, and a lot of deep, explosive play potential. Any of those guys, when you're looking into, we talked about the conversation of who's that maybe sixth, fifth or sixth guy. Does Caden Saunders have the opportunity to factor in here as somebody who has the profile coming into this particular group of a guy who might be able to play early?
3: No. <laughs> Perfect. Let's move on. Uh... <laughs> No, nah, I, look. I, I think that there is there are there are two likely candidates there, who we could have a realistic conversation as to whether or not they'll be ready. One is Caden Saunders. The other is yep. Omari Evans. Omari Evans has not played football long enough, or has not played the position, I should say, long enough yep. uh, for Penn State staff. Because again, this is this is how this goes. Right? Is yep. it's not just about what the player represents. It's about how the staff feels about them. And yeah. the staff might love them, but also know that they're a year away. They, they yeah. are, whether it's physical or mental development, it's just, it's a, it's a bigger threshold to, to, to cross than mm-hmm. simply saying, okay, well, this guy makes some spectacular catches during practice. That might be true. I think that both of those guys, there were, you know, reports or um, you know, some intimations through the spring that those guys had, Opportunities, and they had some some eye popping plays, but one play does not make a reliable option at this level right. of football. And Penn State will always go with who they think are are more prepared for the play in play out realities of the game.
2: So to uh, back up for a second, Amari Evans played quarterback in high school. So he's making the transition to receiver and he and Caden Saunders enrolled early. Those are the two guys that Nate pointed out as two players who might be a part of the conversation because they were here in the spring and they have that both physical and mental advantage of being acclimatized to college football. Um, so Sa- Saunders is interesting because one of the things that I wanted to see from him in his, his evaluation was for him to get bigger and play more physical because When he got the ball his senior year, he played a lot of quarterback, option quarterback. And he didn't break a lot of tackles. So to me, that becomes about strength, lower body strength, explosiveness through contact. Not that he has to be a running back, but at that level, he should have been doing that. 160 pounds, he's now 178. So he has checked that box from a weight standpoint. But is he the consistency there from a playmaking standpoint as far as Giving the offense more than just the the yards that are there from the pass. That's I think what this offense looked for a lot last year in general. But that was kind of part of his profiles. So he needed to play bigger through contact, and that means through the route as well. So I, his speed is is very appealing. But if they don't need him and he's a slot only, and Parker Washington's ahead of him, you know, are you do you want to burn his red shirt? when you have the situation where you might not need him and is he physically and mentally ready? So those are all the things where maybe late in the season, we revisit that conversation, but I agree with you as of now, I don't see any of those guys really being a factor early on. Although Caden Saunders is a very intriguing player as a special teams uh, addition as well, where he might have some punt return ability, but again, Those are all things that'll play out during training camp that we're keeping our eye on. So let's get to the next part of this, which is what are the X factors for this group name? What are the things that are wild cards or things that you're starting with this year that you want to see from this group that could change the trajectory of Penn
3: State's receiving core? To me, uh, so much comes back to how frequently Jahan Dotson demonstrated his elite ball skills. Mm -hmm. I I just, I thought that was an undersold part of his game and it works in multiple ways, right? Because we're talking about not just Jahan Dotson being excellent at catching what appear to be uncatchable balls, but also the quarterback who's delivering them, right? Is if Sean Clifford isn't particularly accurate while under duress, uh, and you have a receiver who makes spectacular catches every time the ball enters the zip code.
2: Just some of the dopest catches I've ever seen from, Crazy. from the most beautifully acrobatic things that you could, you could ask your receiver to do. It, it was, was always it was, fun watching
3: him do that. It, he, he's just, he was so good. It was an under t- again to me. And maybe it was just because I didn't I, I saw that transformation in him. I don't think that he had that at the beginning of his career, uh, but he 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 truly transformed himself through his Penn State career to where in 2020 and 2021 in particular, yep. I, I just thought he made the spectacular look routine. Now, uh, when we talk about an X factor, I thought that Parker Washington had a little bit of that, including a ridiculous catch, maybe two in the Outback ball. Yeah, that. Bode well for him, right? Yeah. That bode bode well for that possibility of being able to make the clutch catch. It, I just having that consistency out of a player like Dotson. It's it's been a while since Penn State hasn't had what you feel like is a reliable receiving core, mm-hmm. right? Where where it it, it has, but I, I remember those days of routine catches that are just drops. They're just, yeah, we, we talked about them just, just a drop, like just not seeing the ball, not catching it. Um, It used to happen. There was one season in particular. I don't want to say, I mean, maybe it was 2018. I I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, yes, you know, right. Where, where Mm -hmm. that was a big part of the conversation. And so can they avoid that? Can, as a group, can they, is Mitchell Tinsley that shorthanded? is yeah. Parker Washington and so that to, to me that is a big part of the x factor of how this group will succeed or not this yeah. season.
2: So to me the the questions are things that we have not really talked about as far as these are problems coming into training camp. These have been very under the radar but they're curious and I want to know more. I just want to know that I'm wrong to focus on these things. They're, they're about things that we can't know yet because we haven't talked to James Franklin uh, in person about some of the things he mentioned in the spring. And, the, and I'll start with this one. Parker Washington finished the season last year at 207 pounds, and he's currently 215. Now, that makes him 20 pounds heavier than Devin Ford. What is the situation there? Is that good weight? Is he playing like a running back this year? Is he going to be a slot dynamo where he has the ability to take handoffs and be explosive in that way? Or, and and this is pure speculation, so I want this to be clear. This is just observations, but it is kind of my deep-seated conspiracy theory. Parker Washington had a shoulder harness on last year. Now, some players play with that. They just play with that. Because of a, a previous injury, that the it's it's not, but it's kind of like a a reinforcement. But he was also a non-contact participant in the spring, and we have this other information of he's consistently gained weight this off-season. So I just want that question answered before we get into the other projections about his abilities and his talents this year. And Pensey does not comment about injuries, but it is informative to know. Has he been rehabbing this all this offseason? Was the spring because of something different? Like, am I crazy here? The other thing is, Mitchell Tinsley, James Franklin talked about how steady Eddie, right? And this is the conversation that he had about Mitchell Tinsley in the spring was, he's this great receiver from a consistency and maturity standpoint, and it's going to be great for him to be in our program because he can see just how athletic everybody else is. Explosive was the word, right? Speed vertical jump, did he, did he meet those goals? Did he reach those thresholds that Penn State expected of him and that they believed he could get to? Because I see it on film of a guy who is explosive, but is he going to reach that level of being what he came to Penn State for being a, you know, potential first round draft pick that he wants to be, I'm sure uh, you know, priority this off season for NFL teams, because he is that big, that explosive and that good of a receiver. Because if those things are true, that neither of those are problems, then Penn State I think is set up very well. If one or more of those things is actually a, a factor coming to the, the fall camp, we have to have we have to reassess this conversation.
3: Oh, we're not going to find out. <laughs> like, I mean, right. It's going to be, it's be uh, a few weeks until we, you know, really have a good sense of whether those things are true or not. And I would argue even further. It, it's going to take the first games until you yep. really see what they have. And again, I mean, it's all interconnected. Where's Sean Clifford in this? Yep. Where's the offensive line in this? You know, but where's Mike Yursich in this? And yep. so until until those things settle themselves, I, I'm not. I, I buy the the premise that this is a deeper, more well-rounded group. Up, 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 up. But
2: wait for it. We have something for that. Now we're getting to our final segment. Sorry. That's entirely. (laughs) I should have hit this on time. Uh, We have our final segment here. Stock up, stock down. What are we thinking about what we just described for the Penn State receiving room? This group loses a superstar, but they seem to add depth. So stock up or stock down for the group. Now continue what you were saying. And I rudely interrupted you. I apologize. Neutral. (laughs) <laughs> neutral, all neutral. that for
3: my graphic. I know. I mean, it, w- I I tend to think that we're glossing over not us necessarily, but just it, at large, glossing over the loss of Jahan Dotson. I, I just I thought he was really good, really, really yeah. good, and really consistent. And so, even if you have a piece like Mitchell Tinsley that you bring into the fold, uh, it, it's just there are subtle ways or not subtle ways, right? Like the spectacular catch that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. um, you know, and how that impacts a game, how that impacts the outcome of a game, how it continues to drive a possession that otherwise is a punt. All of those different things that he brought to the field. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this group is going to be able to duplicate that. However, to the credit of the rest of the room, with natural progression, with some of the the consistency that they were able to show through the spring, yeah, there there is reason for optimism. You might not have a first-round draft pick in your room, but if you have multiple draft picks, plural, in in terms of mid to late rounds, that is still in some ways an upgrade over having one first-round spectacular pick. So we're going to find out. We're going to find out how that equation balances itself out or doesn't.
2: You are so correct in how the receivers have so very little to do with this because I talked about earlier the perception of this room is going to be driven by things that are outside their control from the running game to Sean Clifford. As you just pointed out, is Sean Clifford going to be the quarterback that distributes the ball to the guy that is open at all times or is he going to pick a favorite? and i'm not saying that he picked a favorite last year. Uh, Jahan Dotson was the focal point of the offense, the court from from scheme down to personality. Everyone trusted Jahan, that's why he became who he was. But it, it, it it's it's not like those things are entirely separate. So can Sean Clifford become a more well-rounded quarterback that, okay, I'm facing this coverage and I know where to go with the route and it's not my lead route. It's not my number one receiver. I'm not going to lock on to that guy. I'm going to get to my progressions and I'm going to get to my second option or my third option. And some of that might be the tight ends as well. So this group could be better, but the way it works out is perception is reality. The tight ends were not as good last year because they didn't have one guy leading the charge as the receiving tight end. The receivers, that might be their fate this year as well. So any closing thoughts here on the receivers?
3: No, I think we covered it. I I just uh, Mitchell Tinsley obviously is a guy who I am anxious to see in full effect. Right. It was a little bit like Arnold Evacchetti last year. Mm -hmm. He knew through the spring. He had every sense of what they brought to the table there. You know, we had a couple of opportunities last year. With the modified blue white game, we had this year's blue white game. I think Tinsley, what did Tinsley have? Five catches in the blue white game.
2: Oh, I've never ever looked at the official stats
3: of that. Not once. And that's (laughs) and that's the point is it it wasn't a real blue white game, and it doesn't matter. It's just yeah, it's just not an avenue from which you can gauge an expected impact. And so, uh, if you're us you're relying on the feedback of people who know and people who have been around it and people who have a sense of these things and whether that's internal at Penn state or whether it's external, right? A Jim Nagy guy who I caught up with from the senior bowl, when the senior bowl executive director and head scout is talking about how much he expects Mitchell Tinsley to boost Penn state's receivers room. That says something to me that that registers as being Mm -hmm. important. And so, yeah, if he can deliver if he's as consistent as expected, if Parker Washington delivers, and then if any of those other three guys, Keandre Lambert Smith in the lead, but also Malik Mega, who has the potential to be kind of a breakout, Trey Wallace, if, if, if all of those go right, and even if they don't, and I think that that is one of the keys here, is even if they don't all hit, you should still be able to find three out of those five who you feel very, very good about.
2: If we were going to dive right into the running backs and do our season preview of them, that would be the perfect segue. But we're going to save that for later that'll do it today for the bwi daily edition our season preview with receivers i do believe running backs are up next so stay tuned make sure you subscribe to the blue white illustrated youtube channel and wherever you get your podcast we're getting you ready for football season things are about to start
0: popping madness is here say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament
1: Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXTSTEP or text NEXTSTEP to two five three three four two 42 in Arizona 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com.